Good morning, Roman Sunday School, and any viewers out there on the YouTube channel. This morning, we are going to cover down on Romans 13, Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. And we will discover more, again, it, it seems to be a repetitive theme with Paul, is that we need to be obedient to God now. And it's just kind of, he just repeats uh, more and more and more different ways in which God has uh, commanded us to believe, to show our belief in him by doing what is right. And there's lots of different commands in Romans 12 and 13 about how we can live as Christians. And then also in chapters 14 and 15, we'll see how we can interact also as a local church, uh, laying down ourselves for others in the church. And Paul deals with a few issues there in the church of Rome between Jews and Gentiles in chapters 14 and 15. And we will get to that section soon. But during the time of this pandemic, I, I want to start by just saying, you know, Elizabeth and I and our children, our children, Emma, who's age five, Liam, who's age three, and Ava, who's just turned one this last December, you know, during the time of this coronavirus pandemic, we've had opportunities to pray at our table a little bit. We pray at evening meal times, primarily as a family. And we also pray with the kids at night before we put them to bed. And lately... I've had a lot of prayers with, with Emma, uh, praying for the church, especially during this time more, and mentioned it more at our evening family at mealtime prayers. These are short prayers. It's nothing too extensive. And obviously our kids are young, so I try to watch what language we use. I probably confuse myself with my big words that I think I know anyway, but... <clears throat> We've been praying more for the church body here at Community Bible Church and around the world. I have thought a lot about different people in different situations and what that's been like for them and how some people will struggle more than others during this time. And we've learned a lot about how we are to love one another and how we are to share and bear one another's burdens and how we are to... The purpose of the church is to love one another. One of the one of the purposes is to exalt Christ, but we also exalt Christ by obeying Him. And His second commandment is to love one another, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in the church, that is to be especially true. We are to love and bear one another burdens well. We are to be striving for that. So we've been praying a lot more with our kids for you all. I have been most especially with Emma, because her mind is being developed right now, and she's at that age. But this morning, um, let's, let's read from Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. And I pray that uh, these verses will be encouraging to you in your walk with Jesus Christ, and that your love for him will grow and be developed. And I want you to know this truth, that Jesus Christ says he will never leave you and never forsake you. I had a Baptist pastor, the first church I went to after I got saved, that used to always quote that verse to us from Hebrews. He says, he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. He often encouraged a congregation with those words. And I am reciprocating that scripture to you now. That as a man who loves you all, who I feel a great burden from the Lord upon me to love and care for you, to pray for you, 
to serve you for Christ's honor and glory. I want you all to do well in the Lord. And I, it's my great prayer that you will know him more and that you will love him more, that you will see how much he has loved you and that you will worship him with your life because he will reveal to you how great he is more and more each day as we walk toward him together as a body. So please join with me now looking at our Lord and Savior's word together and let us work together to honor him as a people that he purchased with his own blood for his own possession that would be zealous now for love and good deeds. Romans 13.8 says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. He who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Lord, thank you for the truth of this section and passage of Scripture. Help us, Lord, to think and consider what it says, how it connects with all the rest of your scriptures, and how we are to be about obeying you, how we are to be about loving you. Help us, Lord, to look at these different sections of scriptures now and see how it ties in here, especially from the Apostle John and from Jesus, as John quotes from him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so Paul says to owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now I want us to notice that Paul sandwiches the commandments of God, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, between the concept of loving Paul sandwiches these commandments of God between the concept of loving. And so if you look at verse 8, he says, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then he says what those commands and laws are. And then in verse 10, after those commands, he says, love essentially does no wrong to a neighbor. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And I want you to notice that twice Paul repeats himself. In the first, he says, he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Noticed, fulfilled the law. And then he repeats that again at the end of verse 10. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So he who loves, continues loving, and keeps on loving, and continues to love, has, has fulfilled the law. And what does Paul say at the end? He says, love, continual love, an ongoing attitude and pursuit of love, toward your neighbor, is the fulfillment of the law. I want you to take open that. And now let's, let's look into that together a little bit now. Love is obedience as Jesus defined it 
to his disciples. Jesus modeled obedience for us, and he said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus loved the Father, and he desired and willed to do the Father's plan. He offered his life to the Father, his will, all of his power, to the tasks that the Father had asked of him. There was no rebellion in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There was perfect harmony and mutual love between the Father and the Son. And Jesus says, and as we can see, love displays itself in the acts of obedience. This is what John says in John 15, quoting from Jesus. If you keep my commandments, you will abide, dwell, rest in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So look at what Jesus is pointing out to us. When teaching his disciples about the definition of love, which is obedience, Jesus explained it that way, that love is obedience. Now this is, first I want to make this clear. This is not a prescription of how one is to be saved. For no man has ever loved God first. So that can't be how we're saved. We can't be saved through obedience. Because God very clearly says, God loved you first. God loved us first. We didn't love God first. We didn't win or merit his love. God loved us first, the scripture says, and it says that he laid down his life to purchase us while we were still his enemies, while we were still rebelling. And you can read that back in Romans 5, 6 through 10. Romans 5, 6 through 10. The reality is, is that we ourselves are love gifts shared between the Father and the Son. So the Father and the Son, we are trophies of his powerful, victorious love and the power to purchase us from sin and slavery. And that's a picture of what the Passover was. Is in ancient times, Moses, God delivered the Israelites from slavery to the Egyptians. And when Jesus has the Last Supper meal, Passover meal with his disciples, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my body broken for you. And the blood, his blood is the life. Uh, if you look in Leviticus, it says, the life is in the blood for the sacrifice. And Jesus' blood and his body are the complete unity of what we get to be united to, that Jesus really did. He is the one, he is the person in which we find our hope. He is the one who satisfied God's wrath on our behalf so that we do not have to spend an eternity in hell. And it is Jesus Christ that has freed us from sin and from slavery of sin so that we could walk as children of God and that we could now pursue him in love. It's Jesus' death but through which the Holy Spirit applies his miraculous, heart-transforming power to our lives to where we pursue God and run to God and love God, as the psalmist says, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longs after you, O God. And that's the heart of a believer, is that the only place that you find thirst, thirst-quenching um, life is after God himself. That's where you find 
your thirst to be quenched is in God, pursuing God himself. And uh, God is happy to give us his power in our hearts to pursue and love and long after him. And he does so through his spirit. So Jesus purchased us with his own blood and the spirit applied the redemption of Jesus Christ to our accounts. He regenerated our hearts, He performed a heart surgery that we may love God and worship. Philippians 1.6, it says that God began a good work in us and he will complete it. He will finish it. And God is always at continual, salvific, sanctifying work, making us more holy, making us more pure, having us increase in our maturity and our growth, desire and love him more. In Philippians 2.12 and 13, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who is at continual work in us to be at work, willing and working for him to God's good pleasure, to God's good commandments. It is God who provides for us the strength, the ability, and the desire to cling to him. Salvation is a work of the Lord. All to him I owe. This mighty God at work in once lost rebels is now at work pouring forth the power of his sacrificial love that energizes our lives and our motives toward obeying him by the power of the Spirit at work in our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says that God has poured out his Spirit in our hearts. If we are ever to boast in anything, let us praise his glorious power to love and save a people for his own possession. Zealous for love and good deeds. Titus 2.14 Not only did he pull us out of the pit of our sinful filth, he has washed us and performed a spiritual heart surgery. Read Titus 3, 4 through 5. Romans 6, 17 and 18. It says that God committed us to that form of teaching, which our hearts have become obedient to. It was God who committed our hearts to the form of his good teaching. It was God. God commanded light to shine into the darkness of our hearts and our life, and our lifeless stony heart became a beating, responsive, new fleshly heart that pursues the God of the universe. You can read that promise in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, where God promises to give us a new spirit and to remove the old, dead, stony heart and to put in a new heart of flesh that responds to him and that loves God and pursues his commands. That's obedience. So as if for the first time, our ears, which were once deaf and dull and dumb, we could hear his call. We heard the great shepherd of our souls for the first time, and the legs and the power were now miraculously in us to run to him. Everyone who hears from the Father comes to me, Jesus says. Everyone who hears from the Father, everyone who is taught of God, comes to the Son. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. And so we praise God for the ability to hear. For once we did not have ears to hear. We praise God, the Father, for teaching us in our hearts to come to the Son. For once we were ignorant of Him, rebelling against Him, and wanted nothing. We had no tastes 
for the things of God and no tastes for the holiness of God and His heaven. Now we long and desire to be with Him and to worship Him in the spirit of holiness and truth. We run to God for the light. His light was now irresistible to us. Once we wanted to hide in our darkness, but now we long to look into the light. We were born of God. What a miracle. What a miracle. As Jesus taught Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, a member of the Sanhedrin, one of the teachers of Israel, unless you be born from above, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And surely Nicodemus realized, how can a man be born a second time? It's impossible. I can't do it. I, I have nothing to do with this new birth, just as I had nothing to do with my first birth. I have nothing, it seems, as Jesus is teaching, to have to do with my spiritual birth. You have to be born from above, but I am down here on earth. How can I be born from above first? Well, it comes from above. You must be born from above. It is God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that make the new birth possible so that you may have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart that understands and pursues God now and believes in Him. So how should we respond to this wonderful message and to the truth of which we see that God is the one who loved us first. God is the one who has loved us so much. He has poured out these miraculous love gifts into our life and has filled our hearts with love and good deeds and desires and compassion for him and for others. It's God who's filled us our hearts with these good things and our mind and our heart yearn and long after him. So how, what are we to do? How, how can we respond to these wonderful things that God has done in our life and for us? He says, Jesus says, that we can most honor and glorify him and his Father by loving his truth and obeying his commands and laws. God is goodness and God is righteousness. And don't our hearts yearn for God now? Don't our hearts burn within us to be like our loving Father, to be pure like him? Don't we desire love and good deeds? Yes, if you are born from above, you desire the good. So let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and walk in his marvelous light. I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures from Jesus, mostly from John. In John 14, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says it again in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Verse 23, several verses later, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Notice the theme here? Jesus is repeating obedience is how you love. You want to love God? Obey what he says to do with your life. Obey all of his commands in scripture. That's how you show God love. That's not how you get saved. That's how you show God that you love him. And that you, and that what it is, is that's evidence that you are saved. Is that if you obey God's commands and laws now. 
because he's given you the power to pursue his commands and laws. You won't obey them perfectly. That's why it's not how you're saved. Jesus completed a finished and complete work of salvation on your behalf. The evidence that you are saved is that you love God now and that you will love others. That will be the new pattern of your life. In John 15, Jesus repeats the same thing. So you can read John 14 and John 15. You will see these themes of obedience and love. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is one of my favorite verses. Please memorize it. It's wonderful. Cherish it. Cherish its truths. Cherish its truths. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. Notice how we give Jesus joy? It's by taking pleasure in obeying his commands and laws. That's how we show Jesus love, and that's how he takes pleasure and joy in his disciples, seeing them obey him, seeing them obey him, seeing us walk in his truth and obey. That brings Jesus joy, and I pray that that's your desire, to bring Jesus joy with your life. And he says, and that your joy as my disciples may be made full. So not only do we bring Jesus joy by obeying him, Jesus says, your joy can be made full by obeying him. Jesus gives a promise here that we can have a fuller joy, fullness of joy, and more and more joy in God. The more we obey, the greater joy we will have on this earth in our walk with, as a disciple. And in other scriptures, you will learn that the greater your reward will be in heaven. Every moment that you take to strive after God more will be rewarded. And I believe that's, uh, some theologians believe that is with greater joy in heaven. And that's up for debate. We can talk about that later. 1 John, the letter of 1 John, chapter 3, John the Apostle says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, so he's saying, we haven't received our redemption body yet. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. And so I was, what I want you to see is that every disciple, every believer who has this future redemption hope fixed on Jesus. You're waiting that future day when God will glorify you with a new body to dwell with him in eternal light forever in the new heaven and the new earth. That is our future hope, that Jesus has the power to give us eternal life and in a new glorified body, as Paul taught us in Romans 8 and also in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. We are waiting for our transformed new body. You can also read about that in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the immortal, the immortal is to come. The immortal body is to come that will be sinless and incorruptible, not able to fall, not able to fall into sin as the first Adam and all of us were made, the ability to fall. Now, we were all born under the fall, but another topic, another day. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. And so we notice there, what does John say? He says, everyone, uh, he doesn't give any exceptions. Everyone 
who has their hope fixed on Jesus Christ in the future day of their redemption, is purifying themselves, just as he is pure. And so we look at our pure Savior. What John is saying is that disciples who love Jesus and who have been transformed by Jesus and know that Jesus is their Savior, they look at Jesus and they know in their hearts they are to love him. They are to purify themselves because that's who he is. And they want to be like him. It's like you want to be like your older brother or like your daddy who loves you. You want to pursue your father. You want to pursue your savior and be like him. And they are righteous and good. And so you will be about pursuing righteousness and goodness. No exceptions. John doesn't leave any room for exceptions. You will be purifying yourself just as he is pure. And that's the way you can know your disciple is if you love Jesus and your desire is to be more and more pure and you are pursuing walking in that way. Now to Peter. In 1 Peter, Peter says this, 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, Peter exhorts us, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And so the rest of our earthly walk after we're saved is to be pursuing the will of God, and the will of God for you is obedience to his commands. Verse 3, for the time already is past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, and he's going to name the sins, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they are surprised that you don't run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They make fun of you. They belittle you. Uh, they call you evil now. And they don't like you anymore. So let's look at what that says. These Gentiles are, are, you know, essentially the unsaved, the unbelievers. They are surprised that you aren't living the same lifestyle with them anymore. And so when you get saved, people should be shocked by the radical heart transformation in your life. There should be a great new direction, turning away from sin repentance and walking after the purity of Jesus Christ and holiness. It's not sinless perfection, but it is a completely new direction, running away from sin, falling, running away from sin, falling, running away from sin, and running toward God with humility. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I mean, pursuing God from a pure heart. Romans 13, Paul says this, Back to Romans 13. Do this, Paul says, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. And so Paul is talking about the future salvation. One, we've been saved. Two, we're being saved. And in scripture, it also talks about a future salvation when we will finally receive the fullness of the salvation when we have the redemption of our body that salvation will be completed by God in time when we are receiving a glorified body that will be immortal and incorruptible with Jesus Christ. That is the future salvation we fix our hope on. 
Paul says that the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. So just like Peter just said, therefore, lay aside the deeds of darkness, put on the armor of light, and let us behave properly now. So always the command for a believer, stop sinning, pursue the light, and do what's right and good. God's given you a new heart and the power to do so, to walk this life. And if you don't see that, be afraid. Perhaps you haven't truly repented and believed. Perhaps you don't have the new love of God poured out within your heart that pursues him now, pursues a love for the church, and pursues a love that prays for people, loves people, and seeks to lay down your life for others as Jesus laid down his life for you. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. So Paul says, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, we are to pursue the will of God, which are the commands and the laws of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And John says this, everyone who has their hope fixed on Jesus Christ purifies himself just as Jesus is pure, waiting for that future day longing for that future day, groaning and pursuing that future promised redemption. And it is such a sweet, sweet vision for us to have our hope eternally set on Jesus Christ and his promise that all sinful lusts that remain in our flesh will be gone and that we will be given a new body, glorified body that will be incorruptible, no more falling no more stumbling at all. There will only be perfect worship in heaven. There will be perfect obedience. And so because that is true, believers know we are to pursue that now, that we are to head in the heavenly direction. If that's the future state, sinless perfection, then we are to pursue Jesus Christ in that sinless perfection now, knowing that we won't arrive in our own strength and efforts and that only Jesus can complete that one day future when he gives us new glorified body, then he will get all the glory because it is only he that can resurrect our body and make us truly sinless and make us truly incorruptible and immortal. God, thank you for that truth. Help us to realize that we are to be like the deer panting after the water, that we are to be a disciple that loves your teaching, that loves your law, and that loves pursuing, doing no wrong to our neighbors, that we are to seek to do love and kindness and goodness to our neighbors, that we are to encourage them, that we are to love one another, bear one another's burdens, that we are to lay down our lives sacrificially as Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, the church, his beloved, his believers. God, help us to be about love and good deeds. We believe in your power. We believe that it is you who has given us the power to pursue you and to love you. Lord, please be with everyone during this time of the coronavirus. I ask that you would strengthen their hearts, that they would be encouraged, and that they would take courage. God, if there are lessons that you are teaching us in all of this, help us to learn them. Help us to be humble, to be more prayerful, and to be thankful for the so many wonderful things that we've had before and that we will 
Oftentimes, Lord, it's in the times that we're hungry that we realize how good the food tasted in the past. How many good things that you had given to us. It's sometimes through hardships that we learn to appreciate things in greater ways. I know I've learned this more once again. God, please help the disciples. Help your children. Help your beloved to love you more. Give us more and more of your strength and power. God, reveal to us more of your truth by the power of your spirit. Grant it to us. Grant us to be holier. Grant us to love you and cherish you more for your honor and glory and for your joy and for ours to be made full. Amen. Thank you.